0: Oh, this f-ing video, man. I swear to God. F-ing. You know who Ninja is? Ninja is a Twitch streamer, right? And who just reuploads his Twitch content to YouTube, and he's in the f-ing rewind. You know, celebrating YouTube creators' YouTube. For sakes. Ah. And there's another creator in there. Sorry, I know you have no interest in this, but let me just finish off. There's another, another creator in there who hasn't uploaded anything in the guts of a year. And that person's in the f***ing thing as well. Leading 2018 creators, folks. It's like, What's wrong with YouTube? Like, idiots. Okay, I'm done. Emails were fire this month. Uh, so will we, we're going to dedicate all of follow-up uh, to female uh, to emails uh, this month so do you want to take it there bill
1: um okay the first one we have listed here is a licorice based con language from rob um i made a conlang based on licorice i don't remember if this was in response to something that was specifically said on the podcast or if this was my own idea based on the general themes of the podcast as a whole either way enjoy well, no, it's definitely very on brand for for the Artifexian podcast. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I didn't really, I didn't get a chance to read much of this. Uh, did you, Edgar?
0: So I, I skimmed it. I'm not going to lie, I skimmed it. It's it's extensive. Um, I'm going to leave a link. To it, if it's okay with Rob, we might reach out to him before we put this live. Um, people should go check it out because it's. Um, I think it's a re- although it's 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 silly because it's you know obviously a language inspired by. The sounds one makes when one eats licorice but the presentation is uh, i think the correct presentation for conlangs like there's an extensive grammar written out with loads of examples um, there's some like uh, in the wild texts uh, some translated things it's really really good and really logically and uh, clearly presented Um, the only addition i would say for for conlangers who maybe look at this and go oh i should do something like that is Um, If at all possible, I would always encourage people to include audio files because even no matter how fluent you are in like IPA, it's still uh, it's still hard work trying to um, tease out what those sounds are, you know, and to speak the thing fluently. It's so much easier to just hear uh, an audio recording and then let uh, and then soak up the language that way. So amazing work from Rob. Uh, only thing that could make it better would be the inclusion of an audio file. Links in the show notes if Rob allows us.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I I kind of skimmed it a bit as well. I'm really liking what I'm what I'm seeing of it. Um, it's proper, professional, especially this,
0: which I really like. It's yeah, like, it's almost like a technical meme in that like you didn't need to go professional for this joke, but you went hard professional, and I love it. <laughs> uh,
1: and sample text. That's that's excellent. I'm I'm very. Very impressed with a sample text in in English and in the conlang. Mm. To, and there's a whole to, like yeah.
0: joke that uh, Rob—it's called the Licorice Farmer—that Rob has translated, it's a really really long joke, and I just I love it. It's so good.
1: <laughs> what it makes me think of—it's not—it's not really that similar, but for some reason, what it makes me think of is uh, if you ever read about uh, reconstructing Proto Indo-European, um, there's a, a, a typical text. About a, a sheep and a horse. I'm just gonna Google it here now. It's, yeah, oh. it's called Schleicher's, Schleicher's Fable.
0: Schleich, can you spell Schleicher?
1: S E H L E I C H E R apostrophe S Fable. Uh, the fable is entitled The Sheep and the Horses. And it's like a, a conversation between a Sheep and a Horse. It's very it's very, very brief, but it's um it's like a what this historical linguist reconstructed Proto-Indo-European as being like and then various other uh, people have reconstructed their their own ideas of Proto-Indo-European and like then put it in, in various languages like existing languages and stuff.
0: Man I had no idea. This is class. It's interesting yeah. Yeah that's amazing. How did you come across this?
1: Uh it wikipedia hole probably
0: (laughs) um i just got a text from vodafone there man uh the the um uh internet service provider uh and it says your bill is now ready to view and every time i see the word bill i'm always like bill i'm like no no the paper bill sorry not that bill (laughs) continue (laughs) it's really Uh, everywhere in life man uh but yeah congratulations rob that's that that is it is class. It's so good.
1: The next email we have is from Roth the first. <laughs> I assume it's from Roth the first other than Roth I.
0: I'm assuming the first, yeah, definitely.
1: Roth the first. Um, And this is an interesting one. Uh, So they have a con world
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're asking about ...a sort of universal language or a, a kind of auxiliary language within an, an empire of that con world. Uh, a recently formed empire made of many different species. Um, it would be greatly beneficial if they could all speak and write the same language. This poses the obvious problem that a giant bug, a talking dog and a human... ...do not have the exact same layout for their vocal organs. Uh, so what sounds do you think are the most universally pronounceable from the entire phonetic inventory? Uh, this is an interesting one. Um, I, like, the first thing that would come to mind is that the phonetic inventory is going to be different depending on your physiology. Bingo. I mean, th- the way we have set, set out the IPA is that it, it has to do with the, the placement of the tongue within the human mouth. And that is not going to be the same thing in other species. Like, if you have something that has two tongues, then it's going to be very, very different. It's going to be able to make a lot of different sounds. Um, So the way I would approach this is, uh, first of all, actually, this this is the second idea that that came to me, but I think it's an interesting one, um, is uh, pitch as an element. Because I'd imagine most species capable of hearing Will be capable of distinguishing pitch, hmm. um, so rather than having a lot of information encoded purely in uh, the vowels and consonants, that the contour of the word could be very important. So, if you have a tonal language, um, that might be worthwhile. Might might get you some of the way. Um, now, perhaps are you, all are you
0: advocating? All, are you advocating tonal languages, or you're advocating like full on musical languages?
1: Give me an example of what you mean by musical language.
0: As in like it's um, the uh, as in like it's it's an absolute pitch idea. Uh, as in no. like no, so you're almost just just tonal languages, regular tonal languages.
1: That like yeah, that, that pitch contour is a linguistic element.
0: Okay. Alright, cool. cool.
1: As semantic or grammatical or whatever. Hmm. Uh, now may- maybe things that that have um Maybe different species do have vastly different abilities or vastly different capability to hear pitch. But um, it's worth considering it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second thing I'd say is uh, consider what things could be allophonic across different species and different physiologies. Like one of the things mentioned here is a giant bug. So they're going to make sounds by clicking their mandibles or whatever. Um, maybe one particular kind of click would be allophonic to uh, a velar stop in in a human uh, mouth mm-hmm. so uh, like a bug clapping whatever of its mandibles would sound like a K uh, or an uvular ejective or something. Can you do an uvular ejective? Let's find out. Like, is that one of the forbidden grey boys on the
0: a- a- ejective? A uvular yeah. ejective. I don't think that's one of the ejectives listed.
1: Well, an, an ejective is like a... It's like a a, a way of enhancing a, a plosive or a stop, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I always wondered whether or not the ejective lists underneath the IPA chart, like the one that everyone knows, whether they're exhaustive or just demonstrative. I think oh I think
1: they're just demonstrative yeah if yeah. your adjectives exist they have them in Georgian and in uh, Abkhaz and Haida yeah go on Haida <laughs> deadly language
0: uh, do you know what I was thinking for this email uh, no not not as advanced as you were thinking but I was thinking about looking for looking if there is a common physiological uh, physiological denominator. Uh, so if you look at the IPA chart, uh, you have things like tongue, teeth, uh, or teeth, uh, and like uh, teeth. the the palate of the mouth. Mm-hmm. And although a dog's uh, palate, teeth, and tongue are very much different, they're still uh, common. Do you know what I mean? So you could still mm-hmm. um, say that perhaps the sa- same sounds could be produced, and... Yeah, I was going to advocate looking at all your species and seeing where are the common elements and just make sounds, uh, just list sounds that come from those common elements. The problem with that, of course, Mm -hmm. was the bug, because the bug is uh, entirely different um, physiologically. Um, But if it were, uh, you know, uh, a society populated with like dogs and raccoons and lions and whales uh, and, and like uh, hippos or whatever I could I could totally see there just being you know um, a class of dental uh, palatal uh, labial sounds that would work across everyone
1: mm. um, so they wouldn't necessarily sound the same but we would be able to treat them as holophonic
0: yeah yeah it kind of goes towards what your second idea was Um, Yeah. Except with more words and with less clarity. (laughs) Uh, But I think I think it's a cool it's a cool notion. I think it's a cool idea. Be interested to see if anyone in the subreddit has uh, has anything to say about it. Sure. All right. Next email.
1: Uh, This is from the Mad King.
0: The Mad King.
1: The Mad King. Um. Who is uh, a, a recent fan, uh, who's who's just started a fa- who's just started on the videos, and is uh, in charge of a small game indie game studio. Cool, and is creating a, an online game. So that's pretty sweet. Very um, cool. Just reading this email here. I I think. I think uh, the Mad King also contacted us on Facebook and sent us a Facebook message. Um, And this is probably a good place to kind of formally point out that we don't really get much chance to to respond to Facebook messages. We don't really use the Facebook uh, Artifexian platform at all anymore. Um, So podcasts, email is probably the best place to, to reach us directly.
0: Yeah, email, email, and subreddit for sure, and you can always hit me up on Twitter. Email, oh yeah, email and the subreddit, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of Facebook, this is was kind of my call. Um, I just got sick of uh, Facebook's um, crappy practices with regards to creators, like the whole thing. Like, if you post a thing, um, they they just message you and be all like, "Oh, uh, yeah, you want your all your followers to see this? Give us money." And I'm like, I don't want to be on a platform that operates like that. So I just I just basically gave up.
1: Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, so the so the Meg King's question is um well he is he has two high fantasy concepts mm-hmm. that he wants to know if they're uh, possible or how how they might be achieved. The first one is floating continents, not islands, entire continents. So the the lore um addresses these continents as the heavens. Primitive cultures could not reach these floating lands and considered them to be the home of the gods. But they're not actually static. They're following a very specific orbit above the ground of the planet. You would see these continents pass above you, and we see that they would not be static in altitude. Either, that they would go up and down as the the gravitational force of the moon would uh, move them up and down. Uh, and the second one is uh, the moon of this planet is a part of a small asteroid asteroid belt. That closely orbits the planet. Um, it occasionally the belt occasionally loses one of its bodies, which plummets into the face of the planet, decaying in its decaying orbit. Um, so, what can you do with numbers to make this possible?
0: Uh, yeah, what do you think, Bill?
1: <laughs> um, I don't see how the first one is possible with hard science.
0: I I can't see it either. Um, like. The thing with the moon, like, yeah, yeah, you, you're not going to get floating uh, islands and you're definitely not going to get floating continents. Uh, the thing about the moon raising and lowering the planets, um, I don't think that that's a good scientific explanation because um, tides uh, will shift liquids dramatically, but they'll only shift uh, solid uh, substances like Earth, like very uh, minutely to the point where you wouldn't even notice it. Um so I don't think they would work and I don't think the explanation given is, is entirely a good one, but it's high fantasy and I really like the story behind it, so I just wouldn't care. I'd just be all like just just hand wave hand wave it and don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, that's kinda I feel. If it is a high fantasy thing, then just go for
0: it. Yeah, totally. And I think it I think it's a cool setup. I, I really like the idea of the islands floating overhead and like they're mm-hmm. seen as a heavens. I think that's really cool. Um, as the second one, uh, the second point about the, the rings and the moon and the ejection of particles from the rings, I think that's entirely plausible. Um, there is n- nothing uh, that forbids such a scenario in science. Some sort of perturbation happens and that kicks uh, uh, a lump of rock out of the rings and it's sent plummeting to the world. Totally fine. Mm-hmm. And the concept as well, I, I can't remember exactly if, if it was the moon was in the rings or not, but you could have, you could totally have a moon in the rings as well. In fact, it'd be really cool because it might clear out a really nice path and that could look really cool in the sky. Like you have a, a solid ring structure with like this one, uh, this one like hollow circle uh, in the disc where the moon um, goes through. That, that could be pretty cool. Although it wouldn't be a very large major moon, to be fair, it'd be a minor moon. Um,
1: yeah. Like a a Phobos, not a Luna.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, the second point works. First point, not so much. But who cares? High fantasy. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, and we have one more, Bill, yeah? <coughs>
1: uh, yeah, this is uh, from uh, D. And it's a response to something from a very early podcast episode um, where I uh, solicited listeners for uh new language ideas kind of non non-verbal languages
0: i love how you're explaining this bill but it's become part of like artifacts lore where it's like the the eternal uh challenge that people will always respond to for the rest of all time <laughs> good as well uh, you know
1: people are still going to keep finding it and going back to the first two episodes so yeah even, absolutely
0: even after we're dead man which is which is really weird to think that's a sobering thought. It is. Even after our time on this, even after we have shed our mortal coils, uh, some web archive somewhere will uh, will store our stuff for the rest of all eternity until the heat death of the universe. Fine by me. <laughs> yeah, I'm grandmother. Um, anyway, yeah, so uh, what's it called? Non-standard communication methods.
1: So, um... If the, a humanoid species uh, sorry a humanoid-ish species uh, who have hands with extra segments on each digit compared to the humans four on each finger and three on the thumb so instead of just being like three segments on the finger four um, so a total of 38 different um, knuckles now let me just think about that so what's that Four by five,
0: 24. Live bats, everyone. <laughs> what? Live oh. mats.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, that, that's right Yeah, I, I see. Yeah, that's right So it's a five, five finger or four fingers and a thumb, just like people. Oh, that's the better trying to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get around this by using their... They, they can't really speak because they're uh, an aquatic species. Mm-hmm. They get around this by using their knuckles to tap on each other.
0: To use their knuckles to tap on each other, like
1: they, they tap they tap two knuckles together.
0: Oh, oh I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, so like one from their like right hand, so to speak, and one from their left hand, I guess. And the combination, the visual combination of doing this, would represent some sort of like in quote sound,
1: yeah. Uh, I guess so. Um, and that that gives us uh. Two point seven, um, exponent eleven, <laughs> different kinds of combinations of knuckles. <laughs> that's uh, that's um, a lot of combinations. <laughs> that's a lot of combinations. Uh, now, yeah, the, the, like I can see, I can see this being a, a system of encoding information for sure. Um, but I'm I'm curious about these numbers because I I, I took. 2 and raise it to the power of 38 and I got 2, 2.7 exponent 11 but how are you going to tap your the first knuckle of your right index finger against the second knuckle of your right index finger not all combinations of 38 are possible so there's there's a I don't know not exactly logistical but there's a there's a flaw here
0: yeah, but, I mean, figures. it's not like there is a flaw in the system; it's just a flaw in the number of outputs, like yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the, the specific thing of, of the outputs. Um. Um. Yeah, yeah. This this could be a good system for for encoding information. Um. As regards to making a, a full language out of this, uh. I I think would probably need to be, to be a little bit more because. Like, tapping your. First knuckle of your right index finger against the second knuckle of your left, uh, middle finger. It looks very similar to tapping the third knuckle of your f- right index finger to the second knuckle of your left middle finger.
0: Yeah, there's not yeah. Much, there's not much distinction going on for sure.
1: So you know maybe there'd be a kind of a rhythmic element to it. Um, or something i think it would probably need something a little bit more because and it's very kind of dry and static as it is and what about it would um make it have external reference if you know what i mean like
0: no what, what do you mean by external reference
1: like reference like things that is referring to well, you can see how that I can see how that would happen with language—that like words take on associations with things. But just uh, tapping a knuckle against another knuckle, first of all, it will sound very similar, so it'll be hard to distinguish in reference to other things. And
0: right, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I could I could see the system collapsing down to essentially Morse code, um, because if if we take it that, like, say, t- oh, here we go, tapping with your like first knuckle of your right hand. Uh, on your left hand looks very similar to tapping with your like uh second knuckle of your right hand on your left hand i would imagine then they would start um just having a tapping surface say right hand and a tapped surface say left hand and then just like do things like uh you know, like Morse code, basically you have quick, uh, a series of quick taps would be some sort of letter and then like a hold where you just lay your finger on the left hand would be another letter and it'd bounce back and forward. Uh, and perhaps they could even uh, do like the short sounds on one knuckle um, and then the longer sounds on another knuckle. So they could hold up one finger from the other hand and then bounce back and forth between two knuckles, varying the rhythm of the tapping. And so you just get visual Morse code. And maybe their brains are adapted to um, uh, uh, their, their visual sense is quicker than ours. So they could process in like these, say, very, very quick taps way faster yeah. than we can. So they could actually like in real time read uh, or v- visually read this like rapid fire Morse code. Yeah. Um, I could see that being a thing because I think, yeah, what you pointed out earlier about it being all kind of like um, very samey, samey. Um, I think that would be a flaw in it. Uh, it'd be hard to distinguish what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I know. I think, but I think it's a cool suggestion. And I believe this must be Dee's second or third attempt at the challenge. So we have an extremely so. avid listener who's all like, "I must, I must do this." And I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, no, keep them coming. Absolutely, De- keep them coming. definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, is that is that a free meal?s I think that is it for emails. Boom! Uh, keep them coming, guys. Again, this this month they were they were awesome emails. I really thoroughly enjoyed reading through them.
1: So for for this episode, I have written another letter. Um, again from the placeholderly named planet of romance.
0: Oh, we're still in romance. Excellent.
1: We're still still in romance, and uh, yeah, it's um. Well, you can possibly see why why I put or why I wrote this for for this episode. Um, I'll just read it out and see what you think.
0: And also, it's seven hundred words long, according to yourself. So that's a that's a trimming down, a little bit shorter, a little bit shorter,
1: <laughs> a little bit shorter than, than the last two months.
0: <laughs> oh, can you hear that?
1: I heard a sort of a scraping. It might have been a cat.
0: Yeah, my my cat like has has beef with the window. And it like it sits there. Oh
1: god, he's really he's really making a, a racket.
0: Yeah, he sits there and he like he does this weird it's not it's not a hiss and it's not a meow. It's like this weird growly thing where he rapidly vibrates its, its jaws up and down and creates that weird chirpy angry sound. And he'll do that. Just like staring at the window. Nothing's out there. He just is angry at the concept of windows. Um and is it his reflection in the window no because he's too low down to see the window like he's looking up at the window of the door from below so maybe maybe it's a bird he sees but like it's constant he's always at this um I, you're, you're just gonna have to record and be okay with it i'll see if i can i can get rid of him uh, in post yeah <laughs> here's hope <hoping. laughs>
1: Avdian, thank you dearly for your last letter. My wound is healing nicely. The recuperation here in Utvev has been most regenerative, not only for my body, but for my mind, my spirit, and my soul. The social circuit here has done much to revive me. Even though I am on half pay, my cousin secured me an administrative post, little more than a sinecure, in truth. My duties are far from onerous, but the extra cash, along with my injury compensation, means I have had a heavy purse while recovering here. Thankfully, though, there are many revels which have assisted greatly in lightening this burden. The social youth of Otvev consider a dashing lieutenant of the Tamar Company, bearing a battle scar and limping from a war wound, a handsome spectacle indeed. And I have been invited to no fewer than three parties each night of this festive season. My account of the Battle of Selin Lake has been recounted so many times, embellished to no more than the appropriate amount, that I feel sure I must be telling it in my sleep. I was at the most curious party last night. A licensed prospector was holding a Year's Rise celebration in his palace, and his son insisted that I should be there. Or perhaps it was his nephew The fellow was rather dull, but the party sounded exciting, and so I graced him with my attendance. You are probably wondering how this letter has reached you so quickly. Do not worry, my friend, for in Otvev, they celebrate year's rise several days earlier than we do. I tried to get an explanation from one of my hosts why they do things so strangely, but they could not really explain how they reckoned the change in the year. I must confess that I was then pressed upon to clarify how we reckon our year in Meersphere, and found myself unequal to a clear explanation. It simply is so. In any case, the party was magnificent and peculiar at once. The majority of the evening was taken up in great revelry, dancing a new dance adapted from a coiry rhythm that has been fashionable of late in Otvev. Has it come into vogue at home yet? drinking brandy and fine wines and being entertained by a troupe of acrobat players from somewhere to the far south of anches a good hundred or more people must have been there and all dressed in their festival finest the fashions are much like home i danced my share and recounted my story of selen lake at least twice more and was heartily applauded both times my fist nor my throat ever wanted for a drink thanks to my admiring audience ...and I made the acquaintance of a young poet with the most striking eyes. As the evening drew on and the guests began to retire to their own homes... ...for their private Year's Rise observances, I was asked to stay... ...and take part in the more intimate gathering of close friends and family... ...the nephew insisting that I was part of his personal circle. We recited the same prayers as I was familiar with... ...or at least the words were the same... ...but the rhythm and the cadence were very different... And not solely because of the local accent. Rather than baked fruit and fish, we ate a small meal of sky jelly, native to somewhere to the west, but long popular in Utvev and their typical year's rise meal. We drank three toasts of good Meersfeer brandy, and spent the remainder of the evening in much quieter, gentler pursuits than I had expected. It is curious how we two cities, so alike, so aligned in our purpose and united by our familial bonds and our common tongue, can yet be so alien. It is often the least changes that have the most striking effect upon the stranger. In a temple in Anches, or the tent of a hoitan chief, one is prepared for the unfamiliar. But when the unfamiliar hides within years-rise prayers one has known all of their life, the effect is increased many I hope your own years-rise revels were glad, my friend. I await your next letter eagerly, and hope to be returned to full health soon. If you encounter a Tamari probationary by the name of Yarten, who I hear is on leave in Myrsvyr, stay clear of the card table. I am sure the little sneak is a cheat. Now, I must go and ask my striking young poet whether I really have been telling war tales in my sleep. Your friend, Dajag Teixensha, Lieutenant bound to my company.
0: Very cool. Uh, that is probably <clears throat> the most... a piece, The piece that has held my attention the most of yours, Bill. Um, really? Yeah, because sometimes... I'm not going to lie, man. Sometimes I zone out a little bit uh, because the language is quite... Um, and I mean this in a good way, antiquated. Yeah. And it's not a thing... Like, we all know my feelings on uh, Temeraire, for example. It's not a thing that I enjoy. But something about this um, kept me kind of reading, and I had to remind myself to take notes, whereas usually I take a ton of notes and don't listen as much, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it's good. I like it. Um, Thank you. The, uh, do, you wanna, do you want me to just launch in with some questions? Sure. Or let me actually let me summarize here. Um, this is not really related to anything we've seen before, other than it's a tale of two cities. We learn more about the uh, the culture of the two cities on romance. Yeah,
1: there there are connections to the to the first letter particularly. Well, they only really to the first letter. That I wrote set in romance, but it's not a continuation of the story as such.
0: Is the connection just uh, Yark- I can't pronounce it, Yarklin, Yarklin,
1: Yarklin? Is, uh, is that
0: the connection? That,
1: that is one connection.
0: Oh, there's another connection. Oh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get that. Um, now, Yarklin is meant to be on leave in Mir Sphere, right? Now, yes, when we last left him. Was that in Meersphere? Like, what's the chronology here in terms of the the Yarthlin story with the whole, like, the, the ship being taken, things like that, and relics?
1: Um, so, the last thing that Yarthlin wrote was that uh, they were returning to Meersphere.
0: Okay, so he is...
1: They were on their way back to Meersphere.
0: Okay, so he is now... So, this is this is uh set... This piece is set after that Yarthlin story. He is now currently in Meersphere, or we think he's in Meersphere. As
1: as far as the jag knows, Yarclin yeah. is in Mir sphere,
0: and he's also a snake. I like it, snakey man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now so uh, non-plot related questions here. Um, mm-hmm. What is a sinecure? You wrote here. Even though I am on half pay, my my cousin secured me an administrative post, little more than a sinecure. In truth, I've never heard that word before. So a
1: sinecure is like. Uh, an office or a title or a post that gives you benefits, but doesn't really require much work.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. So like a cushy day job is a sinecure.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Well, like
1: like it wouldn't often not even really be a, a proper job. Like it would be your, you know, like a kind of a nepotistic thing where it's like, Oh, I'll make you a director in this foundation and there's like a good pay but you don't actually have to do anything to go to any meetings
0: oh is this a word still in common parlance or is this uh, an antiquated word
1: i don't know how common it is
0: oh because again i've never seen it before um a a, you then go on to say a licensed prospector was holding a year rise celebration in his palace uh what is a licensed prospector
1: um so a licensed prospector is it's a, a sort of a role or a, a job within the various kind of spires city states, um, where they, they, they kind of, it's kind of to do with exploiting, um, other countries or other, other cultures. They, uh, convince them to become franchisees or take up, um, contracts or engage in sort of some kind of trade with spires um, commerce or with spires companies but they tend to be exploitative
0: oh. so it's,
1: it's a kind of a sort of in a way it's a, it's a kind of a colonialism at a slight remove
0: i was going to say eco, like economic colonialism yeah um now is licensed pros- prospector a real term or have you made it up for romance i made it up you made it up. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I, I assume year rise is just the new year.
1: Yeah, year's rise is the celebration of the the, the change in the year. I,
0: yeah. I do like there's a little bit of calendar talk about how you reckon the year is very good. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know what
0: the audience want, Edgar. <laughs> yep. uh, well, okay, uh, more stuff. Again, let me find the quote. Because I think I should start quoting this as opposed to just asking random questions out of context. Um mm-hmm. So then you say here, uh, my account of the Battle of Selen Lake has been recounted so many times that I feel sure I must be telling it in my sleep. Uh, Battle mm-hmm. of Selen Lake, uh, did is this a thing that came up before? Or is this just a new a new bit of... Yeah, uh... That's
1: that's the other connection, yeah. Yartlen's uh, letter refers to the Battle of Selen Lake as well.
0: All right. What was the Battle of Selen Lake? Uh,
1: we never find out. It's just Yartlen says that they must tell their cousin about it
0: okay okay cool. Uh what uh what is a sky jelly? We ate a small meal of sky jelly. Um I want to know what a sky jelly is.
1: It's like an like an aerial
0: jellyfish. An aerial jellyfish. Oh, huh, yeah. interesting. Looks like looks the same as a jellyfish sort of jazz kind of yeah. Ah, very very cool. Uh, and then finally, last thing that kind of uh, piqued my interest. I realize a lot of this isn't actually interrogating your narrative and more kind of asking what, Not all. what do things We're mean? Going. But uh, what does at the end you write your friend uh, I'm going to miss but I'm going to butcher this Das Hag Te Shensha. um mm-hmm. he his his job is lieutenant bound to to company. What does yeah. what does it mean to be a lieutenant bound? Um,
1: A lieutenant bound is the Tamar Company term for when they're not uh, actively serving on a vessel. In this case, he's, um, in this case, the Jag is like on the land and isn't in a vessel, is on half pay recovering from an injury and got this cushy administrative role.
0: Okay. And again, this is your terminology. This isn't real world terminology.
1: I'm I'm not aware of it being real world terminology. <laughs> yeah. cool. very cool. Yeah, it's I, 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 I created it. Like getting getting half pay uh, while while not serving was a thing that, that navies would do. Uh, so I got the idea from that. But it's just Dejaga's specifying that that's where they're at.
0: Cool. All right. Um, that was that was uh, pretty much all the the cues I had for this piece. Um, do you want to do the usual where you tell me all the neat little easter eggs and stuff that I have failed to pick up on Um, (laughs) no you pretty much nailed it oh excellent short section excellent Um, In the podcast see you all in the new year bye bye everyone
1: (laughs) bye (laughs) Um, so yeah the two cities Meersphere and um, Otvev I'll mention those in well I mentioned Meersphere in the first letter Otvev was mentioned in the, the one last episode Mm-hmm. Um I just mentioned a few new locations within romance. Uh the Koiri, the anches and what's what was the third one? Oh yeah, the Hoytan. Hoitan Hoi Chief.
0: Hoitan Chief. Hoi yeah. Tan.
1: Um and yeah, so it's it's just kind of a a description of uh you you, you learn a little bit more about the kind of the spires kind of culture and you see two perspectives, two little bits of details on how they celebrate the new year. And that's why I put it for this episode, because, you know, it's going to be the last one of the year. And make oh, it a, yeah. Kind of yeah. Festive, I to- festive, winter festival celebration sort of theme.
0: Man, I totally missed that part. That's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what actually reminds uh, Sorry, two things that I should have brought up earlier. Um, I do like the way uh, you've, you've kind of... Uh, done a thing where the author is aware that the two cultures or two cities are very similar yet completely different Uh, i think that's cool because generally the people uh or the things we kind of like have the most animosity for tend to be the ones that are most like us um so i think that that's a really cool uh thing and also it reminds me of uh two things it reminds me of Um, like you know wartime dramas where you'd see soldiers walking in the street like they're on leave but they're in the kind of uniform Um, yeah it reminds me of that and also reminds me of Korea in in where the same thing occurred uh, every time myself and the captain went out uh, for like dinner or something you'd see loads of uh teenagers um in military gear because I think I believe there's mandatory military service in in Korea straight after school um so there'd be a lot of yeah, a lot of people walk around in military gear, you know, on dates and stuff. And it, it kinda I remember thinking that well, oh, it really harkens back to like World War One sort of thing. And then this reminds me of that sort of thing. So it was kind of cool. Uh, brought back memories for me, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, no, the, the young the young officers of the companies definitely kinda swagger around in, in their in their finest uniforms for social reasons.
0: Bill. Uh, I know yeah. I said this last time, but for a for, uh, New Year's gift for everyone, could could we get a map?
1: Oh, I, yeah, you did say that. I would
0: love... A map. Now, now that we're introducing... Uh, I, well, first of all, I think you should totally keep going on the romance, event because I really... Well, I personally, I really like this setting. I think it's class. Um, because, I mean, Sky and Jellyfish. Like, what more do you want? Um, <laughs> the, but now that we're introducing more things, like more names, what were the ones you said here? Um, yeah, Anne Chess uh hoi tan things like that um it would be it really would be great to get to get a map so we can triangulate where everything is okay yeah y-
1: y- i i'll consider it I, oh, I i just
0: i'm i need you to commit to it bill i need you to commit to it you need all you want
1: um my i'm just worried about like locking myself into things before i thought it out particularly well you know
0: Hmm. Okay. Is there any in-universe way of getting a map to us that doesn't lock you in?
1: I'm not sure, but anyway, I'll 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 I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll figure something out.
0: Okay. Well, I, I would I would really I would genuinely really love that. Um, uh, subreddit, put pressure on Bill. Okay. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> uh, any any closing points on, on the work or anything uh, final you want to add?
1: Um. I feel like there was something, but... Oh, yeah. The the thing about the meals. Um, mm-hmm. What I was thinking of there was, like, obviously, uh, we're familiar with turkey and ham being the, the cr- traditional Christmas meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually quite a recent um, invention, as far as I know, having turkey and ham for Wait, Christmas. Wait,
0: turkeys weren't invented or only invented recently? Oh.
1: That is precisely what I said. I'd yeah.
0: Be... <laughs> Um, yeah, so turkey and ham invented recently
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a fairly recent thing so I guess I, I was just thinking of that um, but you're totally right about what you say about the the, the the cultures that are kind of like ours being often the most confusing because, you know, if you go to Greece you can't speak Greek and, you know, you you expect things to be kind of weird and like, you know, unfamiliar mm-hmm. but when you're talking to if I'm talking to someone who's English and they use a slang that I'm unfamiliar with. It can, can really kind of throw me.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you no, listen to that. Last... No, it's a
1: lot worse the other way around. I'm, I'm, a, lot, I'm a lot better at, at, in my experience, dealing with, with unfamiliar slang um, from the UK than a lot of like British people that I've met who just get really thrown by Irish slang. Mm-hmm. Or Irish, like, not even slang, just like speaking Hiberno English to them. can kind of really freaks them out.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you listened to the last episode of the Blind Boy podcast, links in the show notes. Uh, but This morning's episode, or...? I, I can't remember, but he was he was talking about how when he goes to America, he experiences culture shock. And I imagine for the same reason, it's like you, you're you kind of like, it's, it's nearly here, but it's just a little bit different, and that's really weird. Whereas if you go to like career for example your brain's just like okay we're in a completely different situation brace yourself mm. you know what I mean um yeah so it is really the the places that are closest uh or the cultures that are closest that sometimes uh, are the most alien in ways um but yeah um on the subject of Christmas man what's your ideal Christmas dinner what's the canonical McGrathian dinner
1: um Turkey and ham. And ham. Turkey and ham.
0: And ham. Interesting. Sometimes sometimes beef. Sometimes um, so beef? Oh, but obviously then it's turkey and beef. No. Oh, just beef on its own. No. Mm. Intriguing. Turkey and ham and beef. Tur- wait, turkey and ham and beef? Yeah. What is this? A Game of Thrones style feast? Jesus. Yes. <laughs> that's that's a lot of meat right there. Okay, and then are you uh, um, are your family a sprouts family? Do you do sprouts? I
1: I defend sprouts. Sorry, I made a lot of noise there. I defend sprouts.
0: Wait, do Sprouts they, get a bad rap. Do they need defending? Sprouts are amazing. People hate sprouts. Sprouts have this like huge hate them. Really? No, sprouts are brilliant. Uh, yeah, we, we eat sprouts uh, on the regular just for a straight up dinner. They're great. Yeah. yeah. Look. Like,
1: I wouldn't eat them all the time, but you know I like them. I like them. I think they have their place. Um, then various sorts the vegetables, gravy, uh, cranberry sauce. Um, the the big the two big things for Christmas food for me though are turkey sandwiches later oh, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some nice white bread, kind of cooked earlier that day turkey. I don't know, even like the next couple of days, it's still really good uh nice bit nice white bread good bit of butter and then you can you can experiment with adding like a little bit of gravy or a little bit of of cranberry sauce um a little bit of salt is really good as well um and the desserts the desserts are an extremely big deal
0: <laughs> but like flaming christmas pudding uh we don't
1: really do the flaming christmas pudding thing that much we do we do have pudding usually my big thing is trifle
0: Oh, are you a trifle, man? Jesus, hello, oh, the 1970s. Man. Oh, I
1: love, love trifle. I uh, absolutely love trifle.
0: What? Hold on one second. Cat! <coughs> Shut up, like. It's not hard. The window's not going to attack you. Oh. I feel bad, right? Because the way of curing this cat making noise thing is to put it in its crate and then to put him outside. Because we only have two rooms. We have the bedroom, which he can't go in because clothes is allergic to cats. And this room, so the only place for him to go if he's making noise is outside, and it's freezing outside, and I feel bad for him. So it kind of, he just needs to shut up, like. Um, but anyhow, uh, yeah, describe to me the trifle. Is this, because uh, my idea of trifle is, like, um, you have, like, the, the bread crummy type things, or whatever they are, and they're suspended in the jelly along with, like, canned fruits, and then custard. And cream, and obviously a key component is more sh- more sherry than any human can actually consume uh, in the, in the trifle. Is that your canonical trifle as well?
1: Well, first of all, the custard can go to hell.
0: Are you not a custard fan? A cust- custard is grand. Doesn't need to be in a trifle. No, Max excessive. No, no, no I don't. I, I, Thoroughly disagree custard on everything you know the uh the what what what's the brand um, come 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 down to visit and have some McGraw trifle not if there's no custard
1: <laughs> no you'll be a changed man for
0: i i definitely won't i i legitimately if there is um you know the ready made custard that comes in like the uh cardboard um sort of milk oh yeah yeah milk yeah. what's the devon 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 custard and like it's not good custard right i i thoroughly accept that it's this processed stuff is not good custard but i swear to god every time i see one of those things i just want to cut it open and drink from the carton and just i have drank like a liter of custard before in a sitting because it's just custard is just the nicest thing in the world the custard on everything man (laughs) it has its place i'll i'll give you that it does have its
1: place doesn't need, doesn't need to be in a trifle?
0: Oh, that's. It's yeah. not
1: not not in our trifles. No, so it's not breadcrumbs. It's like a sponge cake that's chunked it, yeah. up. So yeah, so there is actually sponge, and then there's like the bit of, bit of jam within the sponge cake. Um, oh, yeah, and then then a little bit of jelly, then the the fruits and cream, whipped cream on top, and sherry. Uh, and yeah.
0: J- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 about right. Um... I didn't think people did sherry trifles anymore. Cause again, they're very, it's, they were very popular. Like before we were born. Um, I thought they fell out of favor, but like, no, I'm with you though. They're nice. Maybe they're they good. have, maybe they have, but not in the McGrath household. No, no. Nope. Um, come for your sherry and your assortments of meats. <laughs> um, I, so I, I'm going home, uh, for Christmas this year, like every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I rang up my mother and was like, I'm coming home. And she's like, great, that's, that's wonderful. And I was like, I know you don't want to accept that I'm vegetarian now, because every time I come down, she insists on still making meat. And I'm like, I can't eat the meat. And it's gotten to the point now where I've, I haven't eaten meat in so long that um, I worry from listening to other vegetarians that if I start to eat meat, my um, digestive system is going to not react well to this foreign sort of um, uh, product and i might end up getting ill at least that's what happens to other vegetarians in my life um, so i'm like no no mom mom i'm serious you need to not or you need, you need to have something i can eat like it can't be all meat plus uh, veg uh, stewed in meat juices like there needs to be something and she's like oh it's wonderful i'll make a lasagna so and i'm like along with everything else she's like no but just a lasagna so f- <laughs> the christmas dinner in, in in our household because of me is just a real plain lasagna i'm like great that's wonderful. I ruined Christmas for everyone. Like a, like a corn lasagna or no, like yeah, but just um, no, not with um, not with mints. It's just basically just a lot of aubergine layers, layers and layers and layers of veg with pasta and the lasagna sauce running through it. Um, that sounds pretty sweet. It does, but it's also not canonically very Christmas. Um, and to be fair, I think my mother just wanted to get out of doing the big feast. So the minute she was like, oh, my God, no meat. Fantastic. Lasagna for everyone. Um, blame it on Edgar. Everyone will blame it on Edgar. Edgar has ruined Christmas. Um, but anyhow, should we move on to uh, my bit, of my video? Yes, let's. Um, okay. So as usual, uh, I made a video. Uh, the video came out quite a while ago because, for logistical reasons. We, we had problems scheduling this podcast one of which i was tired on the day that we were meant to do it so my fault uh but the last video uh at the time of this recording it was about tides and uh, links will be in the show notes and you can check it out um overall i think it worked out really well um a couple of things i want to bring up that was highlighted in comments that i think are pertinent um one is that i need to emphasize that uh uh, the system I propose for calculating tides is... I said this in the video, but I need to emphasize it, it, It's not 100% accurate um, in that, like, yeah, you wouldn't... No one would write a paper using uh, uh, the formula I outline in the video. There's a whole... Every formula has behind it a whole bunch of assumptions um, and things that it's not taking into account. Um, so everyone needs to be aware of that. Um, it's... They are approximations. I think they're good approximations, but they are approximations. Um, Because a couple of people were like, why aren't you taking X factor into account? And purely because you need, I think we need to simplify simplify these things because it gets really complicated. Um, Make sense? Yeah. Uh, The other thing that uh, is being discussed on the Patreon um, Discord is I may be potentially wrong about how I portrayed tides on a multi-moon system. Um, okay. For those who've watched the video, uh, I show a planet and I show tidal bulges and I show multiple moons and I show multiple tidal bulges tracking each of the moons. And someone brought up a very stupid uh, comment and was like, well, hang on now. The other bulge, like one bulge is like gravitational attraction to a moon. On the other side of the planet, the other bulge is due to centripetal forces um, when the objects spin around their barycenter. But there's only one Barry center in the centre of a multi-moon system. So the notion that each of the moons would have two tidal bulges uh, may be false. And maybe there oh, will only oh. be one tidal bulge for one of the moons or something like that. Um, that's been, or the average Or yeah, them or something. Yeah, exactly. And now that's being discussed back and forth on the Discord. Someone asked a whole bunch of physics friends and they tentatively were like, I guess each moon would have a tidal bulge, and then other people were like, no, it can't have a tidal bulge. I've yet to independently confirm this, uh, but if I do, uh, I will publish um, the correction on that. So just heads up for people. Oh, and Also, on the subject of corrections, um, another Patreon had a great idea of publishing a set of corrections. So I'm going to, from the next video forward, I'm going to uh, keep a, like a Google Doc with all... Corrections and clarifications for each of the videos, and just make it public uh, always, so people can always go check against that if any new information cool. comes out. Um, yeah, which I think was a awesome suggestion. Like probably one of the best suggestions I've gotten from from anyone uh, over the course of making this channel, which is which is deadly. Um, and then the final point on my end, before I pass it over for cues with Bill, uh, is that I reached out to a viewer called Zach, uh, I won't be more specific than that, who is uh, a physics major. And he and I, well, he, rather, who is not, a
1: tide-ologist. Not... What? Zach, who is a tidologist.
0: Who's a tidologist? <laughs> yes, Zach, who is a tidologist. Uh, uh, he, uh, I asked him to develop a model of the tides, um, that is better representative of real-world physics than the formulae I give in the video, but ultimately gives, in quotes, worse uh, outputs. Uh, because they are, because again, there's some approximations going on. That model didn't make it into the video because I felt it was less well. Um, immediately understandable uh, but I want to link it in the show notes for this so if you're interested in uh, having a model for tides that you know takes into account things like you know the big g the gravitational effect uh, it takes into account like different masses and it takes into account just more real world physics go check it out the spreadsheet is not pretty um, it's not done up the way I usually do it it's a very sort of like a beta sort of thing uh, but have a gander and bear in mind as well that the outputs are approximations, so they're not going to be uh, 100% accurate. But hopefully, it's the, the model will be more generally accurate than the GURPS-based one in the video, if that makes sense. Sure. And massive thanks to Zach. He gave like like five hours of his time to do this. We, we had a three-hour Skype call running over Matt's, um, and he's just a lovely, lovely chap and uh uh, super intelligent dude and it was a pleasure to talk to him um so massive massive thank you to to zach um and that are my is my points on tides do you have anything did you watch the video do you have anything to add any questions
1: i watched the video yeah uh that was really good cool um i have two points
0: two points, not questions points this is where he tells me i'm wrong okay
1: uh well no one of them is one of them is definitely a question
0: Okay, so uh, let's start with the question. So, you know...
1: So, you know tides, right?
0: I, I, I'm aware of them. <laughs> All right.
1: And you know, like, at high tide, say, at the extreme inside of the Bay of Fundy, it's it's a really, really big difference. Yeah. And say then, at the mouth of the Bay of Fundy, it's going to be a small difference. Right? Uh...
0: Okay, is this okay? Well, go on. No, go on. Go on.
1: Okay, well, like you know, say then immediately outside the Bay of Fundy is going to be a smaller difference, right? Right. So does that mean that at high tide, or say let's say at low tide, if you sail out of the Bay of Fundy, you have to swear You have to. You have to sail uphill.
0: Uh, uh, I mean. I mean, I, maybe I guess. And
1: the same thing applies in the Atlantic. Like, if there's no major tide in the Atlantic, right, and you sail through the Straits of Gibraltar at, say, low tide or high tide, then you're going from somewhere that is basically pretty static to the outside, where it could be either at its high extreme or its low extreme. So you're going to have to either sail uphill or downhill.
0: I mean, I guess, but, like, is the concept of sailing uphill that strange? Like, if we think... Yes! No, but, like, no, no, hang on now, but think of... Uh, if we think of tides as just being kind of like very big waves, you sure, boats sail uphill on waves all the time.
1: Yeah, but that's like, like a very kind of a discrete kind of thing. Like you can see, okay, it goes over the hill, and you know that's moving up and down. And the, the way the way I'm figuring this out to make sense in my head is that like, a succession of waves will be very slightly different on one side than on the other, so you'll gradually move uphill or downhill, and it won't be a noticeable thing. But it's still, it's a weird concept to me.
0: Man, I... I don't know, man. Like, and I, I, get that. Like, yeah, okay, it is weird, but like, it, it does happen. And also, as well, with the, uh, there's, you know, but it obviously
1: happens, and that's why it's so weird. Because like,
0: because water is like, you, you can't, water doesn't flow uphill. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Real life is lit. Is the is the uh, is the summary of this. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but it also occurs with tsunamis. Um, in that like when when tsunamis strike at sea. Um, I now I, I, someone please correct me if I'm wrong with this but the impression I get is that it's just if you were sailing in direction of tsunami the epicenter of tsunami you, you would just like there would be like this sort of raising of the water level and you would just kind of go up that and then come back down the end because the waves aren't breaking out at sea it's just kind of a, a swelling and you have to like ride over that swelling Um so yeah it's it's mental but you know, it kind of happens, like.
1: But that—that's more like the the level is changing and lifting you with it, than going from a high place to a low place. Yeah, but hang on, or it would, a low place to uh, wait, a high maybe, place.
0: Maybe maybe I'm not conceptualizing this correctly. But is that not what's occurring with high and low tides? The level is changing as.
1: Yeah, like... but not if you're like if it is changed, right? It's say like you're at high tide, and you're going to somewhere else that's high tide. Like if you do that quickly, you have to, you have to sail uphill and it's not like the water is carrying you with it. Cause it's,
0: um, uh, yeah, See what I mean, yeah. Um,
1: no, I, I, I guess it must be that it's a dynamic system and like, it'll just be like a succession of, of waves will like gradually take you up. And, but it's, it's, it wrinkles my brain.
0: Yeah. I don't know, to be honest, that's not the thing that I, I came up with, but yeah, it's, it's, it's mental. Um, water and tides are mental. Um, that was the point I'm assuming. What's the question?
1: That that was the question. Do you sail uphill and downhill?
0: Oh, okay. Uh, what's the point?
1: Um. So you know you're your thinking about the intertidal zones being super important for the evolution Cav- of, of life.
0: Caveat on that. That is a point that okay. I should have brought up before that I forgot. Okay. Um. No, go finish. I'll put the caveat at the end.
1: Um. There's a sort of a, there's a sort of a mammalian chauvinism in what you said, Edgar.
0: A mammalian chauvinism that is not what I was yeah. going to put in my caveat, but uh, uh, I mean, I guess, but did the but I thought all life came from the ocean, so that it would also be like a reptilian chauvinism, no?
1: Okay, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. A, a, um, a non- yeah, a, a vertebrate, uh, well, because so maybe fish are, are still vertebrates,
0: <laughs> a, yeah, a non a, a aquatic, a terran chauvinism,
1: yeah. Yeah, are yeah. things at least, at least like whales and, and stuff are of like Terran, or of land-based lineage, terrestrial lineage, even though they're mm. r- gone back to aquaticism. But um, yeah, what about like, did insects, were there, were there insects um, living above the water and on land before the first tetrapods?
0: I have no idea. Um, because that was not a line of research I went down for, for this. Um, so I, I, I can't answer that. Um, that would be a thing I would probably look into if I ever do exobiology. Um, yeah. So I'm going to have to leave that an unanswered question. Uh, the thing I want to add about the intertidal zone is uh, I received two comments. So it's not unanimous, but two comments that stated that I also might be wrong about the intertidal zone thing because apparently, and I did not know this, Apparently, life came th- out of the water uh, uh, via rivers and not via the sea. Um, oh. Which is problematic because the uh, there's no tides, really, on a river, uh, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's... Uh, that would be a count against that point. And I can't remember. I've lost my leading sources for that. I can't remember where I sourced that thing. So I'm, I'm frantically trying to figure out whether or not this intertidal thing is correct. Because um, I was always of the impression that it was a. Um, it was. Uh, they just came from the sea. That's what I always thought like. Life came from the sea. Apparently, life came from like freshwater lakes and rivers and the like. Um, so Well, maybe it got
1: into the, them from the sea
0: right, but if their stepping out point is via like say lakes and stuff mm. there's no intertidal zone mechanic going yeah. on there do you know uh, so again that's not verified and it certainly wasn't a majority of comments I said that was I think it was only two uh, so I still need to check if that's actually a thing again will be published in my what's the what's the fancy schmancy Latin word er- errata is that the word yeah yeah my errata I'm gonna call it errata and I can feel all self-important about myself <laughs> um so yeah, I, I, unfortunately I can't I don't know about the insects man.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah, so uh, any other points?
1: Um no, those those are my two takeaways from the video. I thought it was a really solid video. Um it just what you said there the last thing reminded me though. Did you see that uh what they published in the last couple of days? Well, who's the
0: what? Who is they? You know, you know they. Oh, the cap, guys who do the capital publishing. T. Capital T, they, yes. Um,
1: that they've identified a vast underground ecosystem on Earth that they think within... Oh, well, they, they, they've pretty much confirmed within the Earth that there's something between 15 billion and 23 billion tons of microorganisms living inside Earth's crust. Really? Yeah, kind of previously not really that well known about
0: Wow that's a whole lot of new species yeah. do, um, now here comes a silly question. Uh, do we count microorganisms as species? We must do. Yeah yeah and we do uh, at what point do we stop at all like do we count bacteria as species? Yep okay right so that means there's a whole like a whole plethora of new species we've never found that we, we would start finding. Yep cool. that's pretty cool. Um, do you know how they came across this?
1: Um, let me read So, I'm reading this from The Guardian. I'll send you the link for this. Cool. Uh, there's probably notes. better ones, but this is the one that I saw. Uh, researchers at the Deep Carbon Observatory say the diversity of underworld species bears comparison to the Amazon or Galapagos Islands. Wow. But it's still largely pristine because people have yet to probe the subsurface. So.
0: I, I wonder what they're defining as subsurface as well because we've probed deep on the ground. Um,
1: but only well sorry it says uh, have yet to probe most of the subsurface so yeah we've, we've dug pretty deep but like only in a very very few locations right
0: right right so it's not that they that this this like blanket of microbacteria is are micro micro microbes microorganisms whatever it is
1: microorganisms is mm-hmm. the term used here
0: microorganisms it's not that they're uh, necessarily very very deep down uh, rather we haven't uh, entered their realm in very many points uh, um, that's cool
1: samples were taken from boreholes more than five kilometers deep and undersea drilling sites to construct models of the ecosystem and estimate how much living carbon it might contain wow
0: that's really interesting send me the link send me the hmm. link I'll read that. alright green room time folks we just <laughs> recorded a whole bit for the green room but my mic fell off so uh, I don't know whether or not it recorded so we're just going to record it all again uh, to be absolute sure Uh, so this is going to bore the life out of Bill because he's heard it all before, but at least you will hear it for the first time. uh, It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Says he angrily. Uh, I'm
1: sniffing angrily like a woman in a Robert Jordan novel.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So last time, uh, since we recorded last, uh, I have been abroad uh, on two separate occasions to do Artifexian-related things. Uh, In chronological order, I was in L.A., for Patreon, the annual Patreon convention, and then a few days ago, I was in uh, Bristol to give a talk at uh, Bristol University, and so I thought it might be a fun idea to uh, to kind of do a sort of like foreigner abroad and his uh, my sort of um, impressions I have uh, of these of these areas and um, that I travelled in. Um, you up for that?
1: I'm still up for that. You're still up? Of
0: course you're up for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, Bristol. Um, two things about Bristol uh, that were pretty epic um, uh, and unexpected. One, it's the most compact city I have ever been to. Uh, we were afraid that we wouldn't get to see all the sites we wanted to see, uh, but we covered them in basically a day just walking around the city. Super compact. Also a very pretty city as well, I may add. Um, it was very, very beautiful. So we we we, uh, we greatly enjoyed it there, um, and it's where
1: trip hop comes from. It's where what? Trip hop.
0: Trip hop.
1: Yeah, it's like an electronic music style from the the nineties.
0: And also Banksy's from there as well, I think. Um,
1: ah yeah, but yeah, well, sure, we won't hold that against us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i okay no i want me to blast you seconds so i'm not going to ask for opinions of banksy we will we'll talk about some other time um for for listeners of uh Hello internet uh, i went to visit the clifton suspension bridge which has uh, appeared on Halo internet before that was pretty epic it's a pretty epic bridge i'll leave links in in the show notes it's super high up and it's if, if, you're, if you're afraid of heights like i am it's it's a tough walk across but i managed to do it so i was proud of myself um And yeah, so uh, aside from my discovering uh, coconut lattes as well in Bristol, that was pretty much Bristol. Very beautiful, very small, very hilly. Um, Yeah, it was great. Um, And like I said, I was there to uh, give a talk um, in the university. My talk was about uh, terraforming Mars and how to figure out the mechanics of Martian oceans um cool which i thought I, th- I, th- I think it went down fairly well there's at least two people in the audience who were really into it like they were like asking tons of questions and you could see them looking at me i could see them looking at me being all like we dig this so that was fun to kind of experience um but yeah so on that topic right i had loads of fun giving this talk and i had loads of fun doing the tedx talk uh last year or a year ago or two years ago rather um and put a call put a call out there. Uh, if anyone runs any sort of societies like in universities or any clubs or things like that and they would like to have either me or me and Bill or just Bill uh, come over and talk about some of the stuff we talk about here, um, hit us up in the email and we'll get back to you and see if it works out um, because yeah. I, I really enjoyed it and it's really good for me to get out of the house away from just editing in front of a laptop like it, it was really fun um, and Bill said "Well, recorded this section uh, about 10 minutes ago that he'd be up for two so um. <laughs> <laughs> so last time Bill <laughs> Bill was trying to distract me by editing the show notes and it, after his last edit which read Artifacts and Ads on Tour yeah he wrote say this bill again in cat plugs. so I've I've obliged and I will say this bit again thanks Bill <laughs> um, oh <laughs> final thing massive thanks to Rose from the University of Bristol who set it all up and had me over and she was she was absolutely lovely um, incredibly professional and it was just the whole experience was an absolute joy so massive thanks to Rose and the I think it's the physics society over there they did a great job um, so yeah Bristol done yeah
1: Bristol done.
0: Bristol tick. done. Tick. Item removed from the to-do list. Patreon. Um, I'm not going to talk about Patreon too much because it's it was it was a convention about like inside Patreon, like things like you know figuring out metrics and strategies and things like that. So Patreon
1: bit, inside baseball stuff.
0: Inside baseball stuff. It's very. It was very not interesting to anyone who isn't uh, making a living on Patreon. Uh, but I do want to talk about like weirdness in America. A couple of points. One, every time I go to America, uh, I'm reminded that uh, cartoons exist um, in the sense that we only ever experience America here through media and through, like, you know, cartoons and films. And you land in America and you're like, oh, all those things I've seen on telly actually do exist. Um, And it's like the little things like uh, fire hydrants. Uh, We don't have those here. And it's really weird seeing them at the street corner in LA, these like colorful fire hydrants. It's really bizarre from from an outsider's point of view. Um, The yellow school buses with the little stop sign on the back, like those are weird to see in real life and not on The Simpsons. It's bizarre. Um, LA looks like GTA 5, which is is weird. Um, And there's no European cars on the streets, which is really weird. And you see a lot of American muscle. Uh, and japanese imports and you're like oh this is this is weird this isn't just fast and
1: furious stuff
0: fast and furious stuff exactly and it so like what we said in the main section it's this idea of you you feel like you're at home it look it's almost like being at home but everything is slightly different like you're in a twilight zone version of your country and i find it endlessly fascinating endlessly fascinating
1: They do say it's often the least changes that have the most striking effect upon the stranger.
0: Oh, who said that?
1: Um, it was, uh, Dajag Shah, who was lieutenant in the Tamar Company.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's a brilliant tie-in. I'm sorry I didn't pick up on it. (laughs) So, um, oh yeah, so, uh, also another really cool point about uh, L.A. was its massive diversity, um, which I wasn't expecting um, because my only other experience of America really was Denver. And I got the impression immediately that L.A. was way more diverse. Um, and it was bizarre kind of walking along the streets and hearing, you know, Spanish and, and Korean and like loads of other languages. And then like coming into Patreon and seeing the diversity drop off, like the diversity inside Patreon was still high but it was nothing compared to outside. And like the languages were just English inside Patreon. But when you step outside, it's like you heard Spanish, Korean, everything. So that was kind of weird. And it reminds me of how how the country, how Ireland is just like not diverse at all, really. Um, mm. Which is crazy. Because I have like, I have foreign friends. I have friends who are people of color, but it's not to the same level of LA. And uh, you kind of like, you step outside and you're like, oh, wow, this is, It's a very different world, you know, uh, which is great, which is really, really cool. Um, And then last point is um police. The police in America are crazy and I cannot get over them uh at all. The they their cars are like um like armored you know battle vehicles, you know, with massive fenders on the front for when they need to plow through walls or whatever. Um like they souped up huge monsters of cars. And, like, the police men, men and women themselves, they're, like, um, dressed in, like, this ex-military sort of gear. Or at least that looks like from my perspective. And, like, exposed guns and, like, a bulletproof vest. And it's just, I've never experienced this before in any other city uh, I've ever been to. But, like, it, I felt decidedly, like, unsafe. Or, or uh, I felt um, deeply unsafe um, around these cops, like I knew they weren't going to do anything to me, but like just the notion that you have this big, like burly dude in 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 a bulletproof vest and an exposed gun just walking towards you is just deeply, deeply disconcerting, and it's it's not an image that like Irish police give off. Well, one, they're not armed, but also they're not decked out like they should be fighting a war. Um, so that was a bizarre thing, and it was it was it was very disconcerting uh, to experience as a foreigner. And I was there for like a week, and it never got normal. Like it was always kind of like that. That's very strange and weird. And I find my, I found myself being like very careful about my behaviour, which is silly. But it it their demeanour inspired that reaction. It was, it was bizarre. Mm. Um,
1: it's their purpose, I suppose.
0: It is their purpose, but I don't know. Being European, I kind of think that policing can be done uh without uh being military. Without militarising the police force, you know? Um like well, again, our I mean, costs, most, most of
1: France is military police.
0: Arab is most of France military police.
1: Yeah, most like outside cities I was just reading about this yesterday. Outside cities, as far as I know, most of the police in France are gendarme. Really? Who are who are they're functionally they're militarized police like they're they're part of the military that act as police
0: but this is but this is definitely not the norm in europe surely most countries have police akin to ours it's, it's fairly common in europe man. really oh i didn't know that yeah. oh, i didn't know that at all sorry uh so then let me rephrase being irish um uh yeah i think what uh, you can do policing without militarizing it um because, you know, like, we don't carry guns. They don't carry guns here. But it's not like there's anarchy in the streets. Although there is anarchy in my local park, so maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. It can be done, in a, I think, in a more friendly and less aggressive manner. Um, I don't know. But not that I, I don't want to, like, say, you know, oh, Americans, you're silly. You should do things my way. It's just experiences of a foreigner abroad. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so that was that was my travels. I want you to read it relatively quickly because the main course bill is the second installment of the Bank of Artifexia. Oh, boy. The uh, letters have been coming through the door and it is class. So we ha- I sent you a link to an uh, Imger. Imger. Imger? Imger. Imager. How does one pronounce that?
1: I, I say Imager.
0: Imager. Let's go with that. So we have, for the ASMR people, we have this letter. And then we have this card, uh, which had money in them. So I am going to just beat into this really quickly. Oh, actually, before we do that, let's uh, let's do the ones that didn't have letters. So, uh, Mr. Clockwork Door uh, was so kind as to supply a whole... Ton of banknotes since the last time uh, we recorded. Um, he supplied uh, two Brazilian real, which you should have a picture of their bill. Um, I. Which now do. means I have a, a currency from South America, which is awesome. Um, that two Brazilian real is forty-five uh, cents um, euro, fifty-one US dollars, zero point five one US dollars, and zero point four Great British pounds. Um, so that's class. Uh, then uh, he also gave one, uh, I think, both one and ten Romanian um, leu, L-E-U, leu. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and the one dollar bill is 22 cents euro, 25 cents uh, U.S. dollars and 19 cents Great British Pounds. Uh, and then he gave Swiss francs, 10 Swiss francs. And I adore the look of this banknote. It is gorgeous. And it's truly unique. I love it. Um, Links in the show notes. 10 Swiss francs is 887 euro, 1010 US dollars, and 793 great British pounds. So that's pretty cool. Dollars to francs is almost exact, which is pretty awesome. Um, That was from Mr. Clockwork Door. Thanks to Mr. Clockwork Door. Again, everyone in Dublin, go patronize his fine establishment. Links in the show notes. Um, and I also, the captain also managed to drum up some won, um, which you don't have a picture of in front of you, Bill, though. Um, so I now have a thousand one note, which is, uh, 78 cents in Euro, 89 cents in US dollars, and 71 cents in Great British Pounds. Yeah? Cool. Cool. Any questions about those before we get into letters?
1: Um, let's see, so the Romanian so have we got all of the continents covered now we don't have anything from uh oceania do we yes yet. yes yes so is that the last remaining continent
0: that is the last remaining continent that but I say has yet, a currency in, that, that, sorry, go on.
1: that's the last remaining continent of the continents that have currency
0: technically you can buy uh, uh antarctic currency which is just kind of like uh just for artistic sake, it's not an actual uh, legal tender. Um, I kind of thought about doing that, but then I was like, that's a waste of time. Um, But yes, uh, that is all the continents, barring Oceania. But we need but wait about five minutes until Oceania will be covered. (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Well, because we got a wonderful card from a chap from Australia called uh, Will. Um, I'm not going to read out the second name, but... Uh, I'll send it to you afterwards because y- you need to see this in order for the joke to make sense in the card. Um, so Will writes, Dear Edgar and Bill, I'm not sure why I sound like I'm straight out of a knight's tale, but I'll take it. Warmest Christmas wishes to you from afar. Here's five dues and a silly card. <laughs> and the card is indeed <laughs> silly. I will send it to you after the show. Um, Very good. So Will sent five dues and... Uh, which, oh, with the conversion, is 316 euro, 360 US dollars, and 283 great British pounds. In general, man, I'm a fan of that, that Australian uh, banknote. I like it. I like the gradients. Um, it could do without the Queen, um, but that might be just be my feelings towards <laughs> the Queen. Um, but a lot of al- things could do without the Queen. And also the, the wheat the things that look like little bits of wheat there, links in the show notes to this as well, it looks a little yeah. bit like bacterium, so maybe rethink that design. But other than that, I think it's solid. And like I said, I really enjoyed the sort of purple, yellow, pink gradient. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so that, now, we have all the continents covered, which is class. It's so cool. Sweet. And so then our final letter uh, comes from a Zig, Um. Yeah, I think it's Zig. It's either Zig or it's either Sig or Zig. It's S I G or Z-I-G. G. I I can't read the uh, fancy handwriting. Uh, and this one comes from uh, New Jersey in the United States, and it is uh, Zig has sent a hundred New Taiwan dollars. Oh, cool! Uh, which is the 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 middle one of the picture marked a hundred New Taiwan dollars. Um, and the conversion rate there is, uh, 284 euros, uh, 323 us dollars and 254 great British pounds. And they've also sent, I might actually screenshot this, um, and, and send it on because they've also given a translation of what is on the banknote and oh, cool. Yeah. Like as in who the people are and what the symbols stand for. And they also list some, uh, interesting features um which I think is pretty cool. So not only did we get a really lovely letter, uh you know with the usual thank you for the podcast all that, we got actually like here is what this bill does, which is really really uh, useful. So um so that's class. That is the Bank of Ariphxia and I know we have at least one more uh note on its way which is quite special and I want to thank that person. They know who they are for sending this uh, and I hope it arrives soon because I can't wait to talk about it next time and again thank you all for contributing to this it's genuinely lovely and I've brought I bought a little um a little banknote album uh to keep it all in and it's just it's I'm really digging this sort of I've become a collector of currency it's great (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so do you have anything to add
1: I don't know
0: um let me just have another
1: quick look through these through these banknotes um, yeah, the gradient on the Australian one is kind of fun. I really um, like it.
0: I really do like it.
1: The, the colour of the Swiss one is quite fun as well. Kind of sort of striking yellow-orange kind of thing.
0: And I love, I really like the hands. I think that's really beautiful. It reminds me of, do you know of an artist called Albrecht uh, Dürer? Uh, I think so. So he has this really famous uh, painting. I don't know what it's called in English, but it's the Beit Nahinde. So praying hands, maybe. Um, And it's just this picture of of hands held in prayer. Um, And uh, yes, yes. It was one of my father's favorite paintings or sorry. I don't know if it's a painting or sketch or whatever. Favorite bits of art growing up. And uh, he would. This is going to sound worse than it actually is, but he would drill my artistic skills using that picture. So I, I created countless copies of the bait and <laughs> to try and get good with hands, because hands are just not easy to draw uh, without making it look, them look really weird. And so the Swiss franc, uh, the Swiss franc, this ten Swiss franc looks and reminds me of the bait and It's a very, um, very classical sort of. Posing of the hands, I think it's really cool, and that juxtaposition yeah. with kind of the like techie globe beside it, I think is really beautiful. For sure, yeah. Um,
1: way, way to go, Switzerland!
0: Way to go, Switzerland! And yeah, so that's 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 the thing. That's that is the the contribution. We just need to wait for some Ar- Argentinean uh, currency when you go to Argentina, Bill. Yes. Can't yes. wait. Can't I wait. will.
1: I will collect some. I will bring some back.
0: Excellent. Um, we already
1: have Brazilian, of course, but yeah, I'll I'll, I'll get some. Argentinian dollars.
0: I Ar- don't know. What do they have in maybe? Argentina? Argentinian euro. It's the Argent- Argentine peso.
1: Argentine um, peso.
0: So I wouldn't. Oh God! What's their lowest note? One peso is zero point zero two three euro. Oh. Does Argentina experience very high inflation?
1: Um, I think, it, yeah, I think it does. I think it, it's it's kind of, it's had a couple of crashes over the last few decades.
0: Hmm. Do you know why, because uh, I don't really know much about currency. Do you know why a lot of Asian currencies tend to be, is it devalued the correct word? As in they tend to have very high numbers on them? No, why is that? No, but I, I'm asking you, do you know why? I have no idea. Um, oh no! because like I, the japanese currency is is again I, uh, devalued is probably not the correct word here has lots of numbers on it korean has lots of numbers um indonesian money had lots of money numbers uh, the, from what i can see of the chinese money in in my collection same thing taiwan same thing um and it seems to be a thing and i i don't i don't know why that's the case and then like in the likes of the states and Europe for the most part it seems to be um, not like that Um, Hmm. I don't know Uh, I have no idea Uh, but there you go Bank of Artisfexia I can't wait for another exciting installment come 2019 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, final thing uh, before we wrap up is uh, this is obviously the last episode before uh, Christmas and the new year so uh, I just want to take a quick second um, to thank uh, Bill for uh, talking to me for another year, which is great.
1: Edgar, it has been my pleasure, and thank, thank you, you for talking so- to me.
0: Um, Tis the season of spreading uh, good cheer. Uh, so I need to say thanks. Um, thanks to uh, everyone for listening to the show. It's, it's great. Uh, how, thanks to for sending in the currency. Um, thanks for like contributing on the subreddit and via emails it, it, you're, you all are amazing and thanks to the patrons for supporting the show um, I want to wish each and every one of you a, a very merry Christmas happy holidays happy new year uh, I hope 2018 closes itself out in a uh, auspicious manner for you is that the correct word
1: uh yeah, positive,
0: Positively auspicious, as in, like, exceedingly positive. Um, I think
1: auspicious means, like, that it bodes well for the future. But, you know, that's, that's oh, also the case, yeah. I suppose.
0: Totally. Um, so, yeah, have a great finish 2018, and we will see you in uh, 2019. Same to you, Bill.
1: Same to you, Edgar.
0: Excellent. All right. Until next time.
1: Until next year.
0: Until next year. <laughs> Edgar <laughs> out. Edgar
1: out.